everyone. So just a reminder that the podcast is now being sponsored by my favorite photo app in New York City, Picture House in the Small Dark Room, which I'm super psyched about. Yes. Not just because they're sponsoring the podcast, but because we're going to be doing a lot of different things with them. They're going to be involved with our mentorship program and some other things we have um, that we're, we're working on. Yeah, this is a really nice partnership. Awesome partnership. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect fit, right? Mm-hmm. So Picture House in the Small Dark Room, for those who don't know, is a darkroom and post-production studio that's uh, been servicing the photo community in New York City since... 1996, so they know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So if you have a question about film, their amazing staff can help you with processing, high-res scanning, darkroom printing, digital post. And they have an amazing team, um, most of whom have been with them for more than five years, and a lot of them um, close to 20 years, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, says a lot about the people at the top and how they interact with the people who work there. And, and they really care about the work that goes through the shop. And it, it doesn't matter if it's doing one print, single frame scan, or a huge 200 image post-production advertising job. They give all the jobs the same amount of love and attention. So, oh, and, and I want to say, because I think this is super cool, they just opened a little photo book store yes. um, there at the facility. So you can go and drop off film or whatever and hang out in their photo book store. There's a couch there. And it's really highly curated titles. They do um, artist talks and book signings. So right. they, these people are in our world. We love them. And uh, and check out their events, even if they're not uh, related to our events. <laughs> yes, yes. They are autonomous. That's right. <laughs> um, they've been around a lot longer than us. Um, and how do folks get in touch with them? Right, so check them out at PHTSDR, that's for Picture House, the Small Darkroom, dot com. And you can also check out their really great Instagram account at the same name, PHTSDR. Uh, and they have a lot of great postings there, and they've been uh, sharing some of our posts there, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. very nice of them. And then you can also, uh, at their website, uh, see all the uh, upcoming events. Right on. Okay, so once again... Picture House in the Small Dark Room, welcome to the Photo Work family. Yes, welcome. All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers in Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording from Woodstock, New York, in the tin can. And I'm joined, as usual, by Master Deck Builder. (laughs) (laughs) You you saw me work. I'm not sure that applies. (laughs) Oh, man. It definitely applies. Of course it applies. That's Michael Chauvin Dalton, people. Last show, we talked about how I had Tom Sawyered my way into getting <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael and Peter to come up. We had set a date, but that we did it. We did it. Yeah. Um, and it's so beautiful. I'm so, first of all, I'm so grateful, which you know, but mm-hmm. you guys, oh my God, the deck is so nice. I've done yoga, early morning yoga nice. on the deck. I've sat, I did find a fantastic chair, an old 1960s 
chair, uh, one of those great old metal chairs, not ornate, just the really super cool mid-century one, Mm -hmm. and I have to do a little work on it, but I've sat in my chair and read, and yeah, all the things you want to do on a deck, it's fantastic. It was a lot of fun. It was fun hanging out with you and Peter and doing some honest work for a change. Yes. Hmm. I must reevaluate my entire life now. Uh, good golly. You know, I, I had I had said that I would post some pictures of oh, yeah. the deck and I, and I haven't done that yet because, you know, I've been a bit self-conscious because of course, you know, we're promoting our guests mm-hmm. and and stuff on on our Instagram and I felt self-conscious about being like, look at what I have. I have oh. a deck. Um but I do think I should post. So at some point, I will post. I will post a picture of the deck because I think people should see your incredible work. You were the foreman. You were the. I told you what I wanted, but you put together the design. And I, man. I'll pat myself on the back for my frugality in ordering parts and supplies and pieces because it really yeah, worked out. Yeah, you gave out. me a list of like 24 <laughs> things to order or something like right. that. And we used every single item. Uh, I think we had like five screws left over. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Yep. So on to other things. I did want to mention, sorry, folks, I know this is annoying, but for those of you who have not yet rated the show, particularly on Apple mm-hmm. Podcasts or even on Spotify, could you please do that i'm begging you yeah you know you know how hard we work on the show it's free just please spend a few minutes and, and we know we have a lot more listeners than ratings <laughs> regularly yeah. right we so. have thousands and yep. thousands of listeners <laughs> and it, we're, we've stalled at 197 ratings which is just a number i'm not into so right. come on bring it up to a better number That's 197 right. get us Boo, over 250 gosh. come on yeah 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 <laughs> i like it and as i've joked before if you don't have anything nice to say you can skip that just don't rate it <laughs> So I think the uh, promo code still applies for Christine Potter yes. and Rebecca Bengel's books with Aperture. So when you go to check out Dark Waters and Strange Hours, you can put in Strange Waters. Is that it? Yes. Strange Waters, all one word. Uh, now through um, the end of September. October 1st. Yeah. End of yeah. September, you get uh, 20% off those books. And we're mentioning them because, of course, this is episode is part two of my conversation with Christine and Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. And yeah, what, what were your thoughts, Mr. Editor? Yeah, well, this obviously picks up right uh, at the end of part one, where you'll ask Rebecca about her contribution to the book, Dark Waters. And what's really fascinating about the conversation with Rebecca's short story, Blood Harmony, inside of Dark Waters, is the way they collaborated on the work that's in there. This isn't your kind of typical someone reflecting on the photographs and writing maybe a little historical piece. Uh, this is this is really its own work, and it is such a great companion piece to the photographs that are in the book. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's a piece of fiction, a short story, and it just adds. There's so many layers in Christine's book in Dark Waters, mm-hmm. including in the appendix and, you know, with the people who have recorded the songs over the years right. that are referenced and, and the song lyrics and the different colored paper. And I mean, everything is just this sort of texture, different texture. And then along comes this short story that is so deeply connected to the pictures without ever referencing them. Mm -hmm. And there's one sort of wink in the beginning, the uh, reference to listening to a Leuven Brothers song. Oh, yes. um, Because they recorded one of the songs that's that's in the book. Anyway, this is starting to sound so circular, but, (laughs) but it's just so beautiful. And it just works. It keeps you in this world without being obvious or too specific. So Mm -hmm. it's not there to prop up the pictures or to explain them. It's just another layer. And it is so moving. And, you know, it really speaks to the way Rebecca writes, right? you know, because we talk about how many of her essays in her book, um, Strange Hours, her book about photography. In my conversation with her, we talk about how so many of the essays start with the word I. They're mm-hmm. not these academic pieces. They're these, what I would consider a personal essay. Yes. And, and so that works with the, or that goes for her short story as well, right? Right. I, I didn't mean, even get to that part of the conversation where you do talk about Rebecca's book, Strange Hours. And the conversation you have about that is really interesting, not just for writers, but also photographers, because it's about collecting work that was made somewhat independently of each other for different purposes and in different contexts. And then creating a book out of that, I thought that conversation was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that that was, I just love talking to these women. It was (laughs) really, I want to have part three and four. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, down the road. (laughs) Down the road. Yeah. Going to have to uh, demand that they both make two new books right That's away. Right. And <laughs> anyway, There's also I, a, a surprising yeah. story about Prince, which was completely unexpected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Prince makes an appearance. That's right. Uh, never know what you're going to get in the podcast. <laughs> well, let's get to it. It's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Michael and maybe the audience will never know how many bloopers we made during this intro because you'll cut them out. Yes. But, uh, so, so, so maybe this intro is not as long as I think it is. We <laughs> really are going to have to cut that blooper reel together sometime. Um, (laughs) You can always tell when you and I haven't had enough coffee. Yes. Um, (laughs) This is an early one. (laughs) (laughs) Not that sharp. Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is part two of your conversation with Rebecca Bengal and Christine Potter. Rebecca, let's bring you in to talk about your contribution to the book now, um, before we talk about your book, your very own book. How did you process the photographs and think about them? And how were you in dialogue with Christine to come up with this absolutely beautiful short story that accompanies the book? Tell us about the process. Oh, well, thank you, first of all. And Yeah, I mean, I had been aware of Christine's work for some time. And then a few years ago, 
I'm mushing together time because it's all mushed together for me. <laughs> but um, I was invited by Leslie Martin, the editor of Dark Waters, to write for Photo Book Review about Manifest, Christine's previous body of one of her previous bodies of work. And so I... Rebecca, let me just interrupt really quickly here because I just want to say that Manifest was published by TBW and is a beautiful yes. book. So just want to shout out to TBW for doing such yeah, a great job I, with I, that. I work with TBW a lot and I love them. So absolutely, they should get a shout out. They're some of the most um, exciting, cool publishers around. And that absolutely. book was tremendous. And so it was really great to get to engage with that. And then again, just at the beginning of 2020, Paul Graham invited me to write a text that would accompany the catalog for But Still It Turns, which was, which I know that both of you talked about in detail on, on your previous show with Christine and on previous shows with Paul. But that was his big exhibit that he curated and was in this sort of whatever we're calling it post docu <laughs> from documentary beyond document, you know, what I don't know. I don't have a name for it, but it brought together Christine and all these just really fabulous artists who are some of my, who are doing some of my favorite work. And so it was great to again, get to think about those photos in that context. And then finally, when the show was able to open some, not all of the artists were able to come to New York for the opening. And I do live in Brooklyn. And so it was great to get to reconnect with Christine. And there was just this great, fun, magical night out that felt, I mean, extra because we hadn't had a lot of those nights. And but also we we got to really just sort of bond over some of some of these things that, you know, that probably have emerged from what you heard in our shared bios. I mean, definitely if we had ended up in the same town, we would have hung out. And, For sure. <laughs> and now we do yeah. get to <laughs> and, and these in these in these other spaces. But Christine was talking about this work that she was making. And I can't remember exactly how we got onto it. But we discovered, too, that, you know, I mean, I, I described a little bit about the place that I come from. But it's also just Western North Carolina is like littered with murder ballads and of course with murders. And there were some specific ones that I had grown up with. And they, they the ones that are like most, I mean, Omi Wise, which is in the book, is a little further away from where I grew up. But some of the ones that are closest to me or to my hometown where they subvert it a little bit, but they still are kind of rooted in some of those same things. So like there's a woman from my hometown who I've, I've since written about at a baker who wrote, she recorded a really famous version of Railroad Bill, which is, you know, he was he was not a murderer, but he was murdered. But he was an African-American man who was um, train hopping and was murdered by the police. And so there were things like that. There was a t but specifically there was Frankie Silver was the first white woman who was hanged in my county. The county that I come from was actually so murderous that it acquired its own um, nickname Bloody Burke for a while. <laughs> there were a lot of there were just a lot of a lot of killing going on. There was a lot of there are all these little clubs and juke joints and honky tonks and all kinds of things and there was a lot of a lot of stuff that happened around them. But Frankie Silver was a woman who killed her husband, chopped him up into bits and just completely gruesome. And you can imagine why she might have done that. So that that's not a part that was, but she was, she was murdered for it. And there was a song that was created from that. And when I was a little kid, this was performed as a one woman play. 
at a community college in town. And it was just so, <laughs> I mean, in my memory, like seeing Chris, seeing some of the, the more performance-based staged photos in this book, I was really brought back to that, to my memory of seeing this really stark, intense one-woman performance. And also, I will say, just a lot of things are so evocative about the book. Like, even the green, the green curtains, I was like, wow, that's the, that's the same shade as the, the curtains on our elementary school stage. It just felt so connected to these, these early ideas of theater and theatricality and, and also stories being handed down. I don't know that anybody really talked that much about Frankie Silver other than it was sort of a novelty, the way that folk ballads are kind of a novelty, but no one's making those connections between history and the present day. And there were definitely women disappearing and being killed when I was coming up in that place. So, and it was something, you know, when, when Christine brought it to me, I'm rambling and getting off subject too here. Sorry. But, um, it was, it was, it was also, also another theme of seeing those pictures was I was very much put in the place of being in a car of either traveling between two worlds, as I described earlier and kind of listening to music and the kinds of things you would listen to. And, Definitely the music of the folk ballads and country music and folk music is is of the place that I'm from, although I grew up as a kid wanting to listen to MTV and the rap and rap and like all kinds of thing and like pop music and anything else but that. But it's it's there very much in the landscape and those songs do get re-recorded and retranslated, and that's one reason I love the appendix too. Um so it was kind of a lot of those ideas were springing into my head when Christine and I were first talking and when I first saw an early PDF or an early selection of some of the images. And obviously there's, you know, I write nonfiction too that I could have entered into it that way, but it seemed truer to to what the book was doing and what the pictures were doing to, I just instantly was imagining these characters and imagining, again, like imagining a parallel track for it. They felt so connected to things that I either knew or, or memories that are now partly fictional because of, because of time that a story just kind of started to emerge for me. And I was really interested in this father being the driver. And the so there's a there's a father driving these the two sisters and you're aware that there is there is like an unsettling, troubling thing happening and they're not sure where they're being taken and they're not sure where their mother is. And they're driving through a world that probably looks like some of the worlds of the pictures, but that's left, you know, that's left for you to, to decide as you read. And the father is also a singer. And so the, the I should say the title of the story is uh, Blood Harmony, which is a, a concept that I didn't know as a term until several years ago when I was interviewing the singer Angel Olson, who loved her work, and she definitely sings in some of these traditions. But she was talking about she was talking about her love of some of the artists who appear in this appendix, the Leuven Brothers, which is their big favorites of mine. And she articulated that's that's the terminology for it. Basically that sense of being so close to somebody that you can you can kind of fill the gaps in each other's singing um, through harmony. And, you know, I grew up singing and I was in chorus and I studied harmony. And it's true. It's not a thing you can study. And these were the Leuven brothers and the Everly brothers, who she and I also talked about. 
they're two of the great examples of it where they made the most, you know, these sweet, beautiful, just uncanny harmonies that no one can really duplicate. And in real life, off stage, they just fought like hell. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of wanted the, the father to be a little bit like that. But I was also, and that was also maybe a little like nod to, to the spirit of what Christine and I were, were attempting, which is, you know, when you're working with words and pictures, and especially in the form of a photo book, how do those two things interact and speak to each other? And can they fill gaps or can they exist on their own? And there's a point where one is the foundation for the other and the other one flies and, the, and it should be an exchange. And that was in the back of my mind too. But I wanted to create an, another experience that maybe hopefully extends what you're feeling or what I was feeling as I moved to pictures. I can't speak for anybody else, but that also could maybe be its own thing. I think hopefully these two things could also coexist. But I love, I also just love the form of the photo book. And that's maybe my first more profound experiences of, of photography beyond just seeing an individual picture here and there. And I didn't see a lot of big photo exhibits. So that's also where I think some of the most interesting work is being done in photography in that form. And so it was just really exciting to be able to work with Christine and, and to work with Leslie and everyone else. And as Christine said, you know, she's assembled this amazing team of women to do this. And so just really honored to be a part of that. Oh, well, I mean, I, I should mention that when, when you and I met that night, and you're right, that was one of the first nights we could like hang out after COVID. <laughs> and maybe that had something to do with how late it got. But um, I, I, I remember that night, <laughs> sure. by the way, I, I could, I could, I could tell stories. Yeah, you, I, have a, I, you I, actually I'll, have I'll, a good one, Sasha. I'm going to control myself. Uh, Sasha's getting home story is really great. But um, oh, my gosh, Jeez. but it's good true. Lord. I had never talked to you one on one. I had read things that you had written about my work that I have to admit, it kind of astounded me because I felt like you got it. You never interviewed me about Manifest, but you were writing about it in a way that no one else had. And it, at least that was my oh, my impression <laughs> when I read it. And so I was like, who's this? I, I wanted to talk to you. And, and of course, when we were speaking that night, we had all these similar things in our, our youth and our, in the places we grew up, I felt like this kind of immediate connection and it just made total sense to me. Like she's, she's the person to write. And I didn't want, I didn't want any writing in the book that was about my work. I, I didn't think that that needed to happen. And so I was hopeful that there could be this kind of narrative component that, that I didn't control at all. And I, I didn't, really have many instructions. I just thought she knows exactly where these pictures come from. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. And in a strange way, you've known what I've been thinking about long before we met in a way. And so, yeah, I just had complete trust that you would do something really extraordinary, which you did. And, you know, when I first read the piece, you sent it for us to review. And I mean, my first thought was, I got to make a movie with this person. Like we should, <laughs> like, let's finish the book. I like that I know. Too. Let's finish the yeah. book, but like, let's make a movie. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really, really amazing. And there's so many levels at which I'm surprised by how it brings more layers 
of consideration, just this very simple circumstance of this older man driving these two younger women through the landscape and it being both comfortable because it's their dad and uncomfortable because of what's possible and what they don't know. And yeah, it's just, it's really pretty incredible. Rebecca, thank you. Thank you. And thanks too for that. Neither of you did give a lot of instructions and that for me, that did feel really liberating. And just, I love that that trust. So appreciate that. It's true what you said. Let's make a movie. (laughs) It's true what you said though. You know, when I, and, and big shout out to TBW, I want to, I loved working with Paul Sheik and at the time Lester Rosso at TBW on Manifest. Mm -hmm. And for this book, I really wanted to assemble a team of all women. I wanted everyone at the table who was kind of coming up with creative ideas about the work to have some kind of instinctual understanding. People can intellectually understand, you know, a lot of things, but I wanted something instinctual at play. And again, with you, like asking you to do the writing, it was like all the instincts were there. And it's, it was an interesting experiment to work this way. And I, and it felt like the right decision. And yeah, I think it just really worked out. And I will say, I'll just just add one more thing very quickly, but um, just because there is such a strong musical component in the material, the pictures, I just wanted to say that too, like even as for me, like my sense of language is always coming through sound. And so that this felt like the perfect place to bring that in. And this also maybe comes to in some ways, I'm looking back, I'm realizing like being growing up in a signing and and verbal household both at once, like this, this idea of like mixing languages, but also being aware of silences and of sound and, and of trying to like, you know, surround pictures with sound, even if that sound is just words on a page, if that makes mm. any sense. But um, so yeah, what, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Sasha. You were no, <laughs> no, not at all. I'm, it's wonderful. Well, I, I just a couple of, of points. One, I, I think that, you know, the photo book is a very intimate way of interacting with photography compared to an exhibition. And your story is extremely intimate. And so they just fold into each other really beautifully. It's like it makes all the sense in the world that there's this piece of fiction there. So, Rebecca, let's talk about your new book, with Aperture, which is just so exciting. I have it finally right in front of me. Strange Hours, Photography, Memory, and the Lives of Artists. It's a fantastic book of selected writings uh, by you. I think there's 18, if I'm right, 18 pieces. And I want you to tell us how this came about. I, I just want to say something I think is extremely important, which is that fully half of the essays are almost personal essays. They start with I, they're first person, there's tons of subjectivity. And that is just a wonderful way, in my opinion, to to talk about art. <laughs> you know, it's not as authoritative. It's not academic and critical. It's not didactic. It's not impenetrable. (laughs) You know, it's warm (laughs) and it is connected and filled with a life. And the entry into these essays is so welcoming. And I just loved reading this book as opposed to so many 
uh, essay books I read have an element of homework feeling to them, but not this one. So congratulations. <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful. And, and yeah, tell us how, how it happened, how it came about. Oh, thank you so much for that. And it's, I'm, I'm really glad because I would be completely incapable of writing a book <laughs> that like you describe or, or to write anything that's, and who wants to give homework for a book that comes out in June? I mean, that's, that's just terrible timing. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, I, there are a lot of lot of things to answer in there. I think, but um, Strange Hours is it is a collection, and yes, yeah, seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Pieces, very short pieces. I should add too, because they were most of them were originally written for print magazines, or for in some cases online versions of magazines, or all these things where they're they're sort of they were written for publication designed to be somewhat compressed and concise. Right. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, of course, in the once we began doing the book, I, I agreed. The book came at the invitation of Aperture and of specifically my editor, Brendan Emser, who is the senior managing editor at Aperture magazine. And I've worked with him and Michael Famagetti, who's the editor of Aperture, of course, for several years. And a lot of the pieces that we worked on together are included in the book. And Brendan is wonderful. You guys hearing this may know him as the as the editor of some really fantastic books too that he's done with uh, Dina Lawson and um, with Ming Smith. Who Ming Smith is somebody who I write about in the book, and with Philip Montgomery. And then he he is part of this series, which is more Aperture's text based books a series um, called Ideas. And this has been revived recently. And so Brendan edited the first one in the revival, which was with the photographer and writer Sunil Gupta. And he invited me to be the second in this in this newly revived series and to kind of bring together some of the pieces that I've written over the years. And again, there's there was a lot to choose from. I was excited because Brendan's such a wonderful a wonderful editor and collaborator and and was very open to listening suggesting things that I wouldn't have thought of to to necessarily include and also to hear my suggestions for things that might not have fit in an, in another book of photography. So we had that and then I also my other caveat was like well I really need to be able to heavily revise some of these pieces because they were written since they were written for particular contexts and at different times I wanted to make and of course just to make sure that they all work together in some way as a book. Um and they represent they were the first one as I mentioned before was written in 2008 or published in 2008 when I first interviewed Willie Muggleston. And then there's a pretty big gap. Like most of the others, I think it, they sort of pick up around, most of them were written between 2015 and then one was written last fall. So they, they kind of are from around this, this recent, recent-ish period of time, but hopefully cover a lot of different artists and subjects and ways of entering into photography and sometimes really loosely there's a lot of music in there I mean there's one of my favorite details is that they um this series has a particular format you know there's there are chapter illustrations we were allowed to include a a section of color photographs, which was, was, was great just to add some more pictures to give a little more context to what I'm 
writing about. Um, but they also insist on an index. And so it's, it's a very funny thing to be indexed and to, <laughs> to have that sort mm -hmm. of, to have your topics read back to you. But I was, I was really pleased that the, the first entry is Abdul Paula. In a, in a book about photography, yes. <laughs> so, that, which also, I mean, again, that feels true to, to both everything that Christine and I have been talking about. And that, that reference actually comes from a piece that is not really an essay specifically about photography, but it was in, in a looser sense. That one was a piece in which Alex Soth and I were invited by, I, I don't know who originally had this idea, but we went to... We went looking for all the houses that Prince lived in during his time in Minneapolis from infancy to adulthood. And although he had houses in other cities as well, it was kind of uncovering the story of his life, but also also like what life still exists there. We were really interested in finding the people who, who still live in his houses. Um, many of them allowed Alec to make a picture with them in that space. And it was a one, it was a, just in the spirit of being able to collaborate. It was such a fun experience to get to, to get to just make up a story as we went along. And we had mapped out the places that we were going to go to, but we had, we didn't let anybody know we were coming ahead of time. It was just sort of, there was a real process of discovery, even though Alec, of course, is from Minneapolis and has this totally crazy story that I tell in this essay, which is he was next door neighbors with Prince for a while um, until <laughs> uh, until his family moved away. And this is out in, in Chanhassen, um, a suburb of Minneapolis. And after Alec's family moved into town, Prince ended up buying their property and raising his home. So Prince essentially destroyed Alex's childhood <sighs> home, which is, I mean, the metaphors are just This like is an incredible story. There. It's an incredible story. <laughs> I can't believe that. And and back to your index, when, when I realized I was indexed in a book where Prince was indexed, <laughs> he was like my true, my great love. I mean, my first big crush in life and big reason why I spent hours on MTV to see him. Uh, anyways, this story, and I can't believe the story about Alex's home, but also how many homes Prince had in Minneapolis is extraordinary. It's like 30 something, right? Did you say that already? I can't remember if I gave the total here, but yeah, it's, it's a lot, lot, which speaks to just his, I mean, he, he moved around a lot as a, as a, childhood but again you know that idea of like music you know there's music made i mean some of the houses he'd make a whole album and so there's again this idea of like music existing in a landscape and all these stories and like how do you bring that out in a picture that's alex's challenge but at the same time it becomes a story about photography which is where i'm allowed to cheat a little bit and include it in a in a book for aperture it becomes a story about photography because one of the people we met, she actually, Prince came to her house because he, we discovered that he was looking for, he was looking for his childhood homes too. There was a point, and this was near the end of his life, where he had begun working on a memoir. And so he came to the house with with a photographer <laughs> to photograph this childhood home. And so the, the resident that we met, um, who's pictured in she's her pictures in my book as well. She was amazing. She just happened to be at home alone. And she tells the story there. She's just, she's just chilling outside. It's a really hot day. And he pulls up in a Corvette, not a red one, but a black one. 
incredible. Gets out with this with this woman who's this this woman who's carrying the camera, and that this is the person who's taking the pictures. I don't know. I still don't know the identity of that person. But yeah, she was just like, man, you're. You're, you're Prince, you know, and he's like, no, I'm not. And does that little wink, you know, it's just, I mean, you can just picture it. It's amazing. Rebecca, can I ask you how much you have, I mean, just some of the artists who are profiled is not the right term, but uh, let's just go with that for now. In in the book is Judith Joy Ross, Alec in a, another uh, piece, William Gedney, um, Nancy Rexroth, mm-hmm. Nan Golden, Alessandra Sanguinetti, Dawood Bay. Um, how how much is in the decision of which essays to include? How much is well? I th- I think I did a really great job here. This is a really good piece. And how much is you sort of championing certain artists? Oh, that's a great question because it it almost to me it speaks more to the absence of so many artist and work that I love and some of which I have written about some of which we just couldn't we couldn't include I think that because in part because this is a book published by Aperture and in part because the editors there are so wonderful at what they do and at at melding you know translating photography and making and creating stories around it and really being attuned to like the literary qualities of the stories of photography some of the pieces that I did for Aperture really formed the the foundation of the book. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes, that's always a, an exchange between, you know, sometimes I might suggest somebody to them. Sometimes it turns out they're already, they've already got that in mind or they think of me for someone, but it's also because they know what work I, I sort of respond to and the kind of stories that I can, I, I do like to create a story around around the work. And sometimes, sometimes it sort of exists and sometimes it doesn't. But definitely too, there, there are people that I do want to, I, I, I did want to include somebody like Nancy Rexroth in there, for instance, who's, who's just not as well known as she should be. She, although she's going to, there's going to be a big retrospective of her work, I think, in um, Ohio when her, she's based there. There was a big acquisition of all of her work there. So hopefully, and, and also just, I think for me too, it, it also became in a book, again, just filling in gaps idea-wise and in the kinds of stories. I mean, there's some pieces in here that are really conversational, almost literally so, to where it's it's an actual exchange and a dialogue. And many that are, like you said, come from a personal place in my interaction with with the work. And I mean, hopefully there's there's just again a lot of different entry points. And especially for people who either might not know this work or even be really think they're interested in photography at all. And people hopefully who who are deep photo nerds and you know maybe you think you you know a lot of these are very well-known artists but maybe hopefully there's a little crack here somewhere where you can see something some other part of them that you haven't seen before that may not be true but that's that's the hope no i i I think that i think that is true (laughs) let me ask you uh something you said in passing when we last spoke not during this conversation last time i talked to you and something that just stayed with me, so I wrote it down. You said that for your writing, you you have stolen or you you steal a lot from visual artists, and I, I just was really curious about that and wondered if you could explain what what that means exactly. 
I guess it means a lot of very different things. I mean, in a very literal sense, I would say, so William Gedney, who whose work you I know know well, Sasha. Yeah. But I discovered I discovered him back at that internship at the Center for Documentary Studies in Double Take. His work was acquired by Duke University and he had never published a full photo book, even though he left all these maquettes and there's some work that I really hope to to get out there. And the first so the first books of his were published as anthologies essentially which had to function as introductions to his bodies of work. And and he was deeply appreciated. I mean, John, John Sarkowski bought some of his work and showed individual pictures in larger shows. And um, Lee and Maria Friedlander were really instrumental in getting his work into the archives at Duke. But Gedney died relatively young in his late 50s of AIDS. And Different pieces of that work were so important to me, but also on a real personal level, because I was writing some short stories based on my father's family's history. And there was a, there was house fires that destroyed a lot of their pictures. So I just didn't have, and a lot of people had died. So I couldn't, I couldn't do any kind of research. And I didn't want to literally, you know, you never want to literally write about things when you're writing fiction, but you, you know, maybe there's, there's just, I want things to be somewhat authentic. Mm -hmm. So his pictures really, his Kentucky work really stood in. I would use them sometimes to help trigger a story or to help imagine a person. Uh And then, you know, you'd look at them for a while and then kind of forget about them. But I think also too, just in the way that people, more importantly, it's more the way that people, um, work through ideas or the way, again, photo books, the way that a, you know, a really strong, amazing sequence is its own story. And I relate to that, you know, film as much as film is a huge influence for me too, but also I guess essentially in the photo book and then essentially because images, you know, in some subconscious way they're there and the ones that are just, really framed and conceived and, and contain all these things that, that kind of hit you in your psyche in some way that you can't fully articulate. It's that's the challenge and that's where, and then language has to fill in somewhere. And so that's kind of as a, as a challenge, but just in a way, in the way that I learning how any creative person, whether they're a visual artist or a musician or a filmmaker or another writer, how they work and how they think and how they deal with like really basic things and live life. Um, I'm just sort of endlessly learning, I think. (laughs) So, so in those, in those really essential, crucial ways too. I think there's a real, there's a kind of looseness in your writing that reminds me a little bit of music and particularly, you know, popular music where there may be a verse, chorus, all of a sudden the bridge may come in and then it may flop back to a verse section. Like there's mm-hmm. a way in which you trust the reader to sort of feel it and, and go on the journey and then connect everything or everything will connect if you're really present with your writing. Do, do you know what I mean? I love that. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, that's, that's very, that's really exciting to hear, actually. Um, I think because I primarily think as a, 
a fiction writer and my, my real form is, and I haven't published a lot of this lately because I've been, I was, I was also a lot of these, I should also say that a lot of these things were done when I was primarily freelance writing or editing. And at different times, it just became difficult to make work or other things were kind of slow burning. So I think thinking as a fiction writer and particularly as in short stories, you have to work on the power of suggestion and the power of omission, which Mm -hmm. I think is something, it's also something that I think connects. I mean, there's, it connects to photography too. That's, it's really important and in most works, but I think particularly in a photograph, like what you include and what you choose to leave out. Oh, absolutely. What one has to infer. And again, the way that like Christine and I and you both have, we all have this sort of embrace mystery and ambiguity. And so, I, I love that. I don't, I, I just would hate to over explain anything. And also, these aren't the kinds of pieces in which there are answers. And if there are, they're your own answers, hopefully. And lo- looseness is also good. I think I'm somewhat of a casual person. I probably sound, I'm going to hear this later and sound, think I sound overly serious because I'm nervous about saying the right things. <laughs> but, um, but I tend to just joke around a lot. And I think that's important too. I think there is, there mm-hmm. should be. There should be a looseness. And, mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. And I guess the reader, or if, you know, if we're talking about a picture, the viewer, a place to be, you know, you, you need to leave a place for them always. I, I just want to yeah, add. I concur. I, I just want to add it. Like, you know, it's like you're an incredibly generous writer and visual. You're an incredibly, vi- to me, it's like your words evoke a lot of like sort of visual it, imagery, just my imagination gets really activated. But I find you don't do it in a really literal way. Like, uh, if you're describing something or someone, you'll have a lot of descriptors, but they're really poetic. There's a lot of descriptors, but they're all metaphor. And somehow that just opens up, like, in my mind, all these sort of imaginative ways of, I guess, absorbing the story. And yeah, like, I just really love that not just about the story you wrote in Dark Waters, but in a lot of your writing. I find it to be so generous, but also so open in that way. Christine, yeah, I think that I'm describes... I am invisibly your... blushing all over the place again. <laughs> it, it's you. interesting, though, Christine, when you just said, you know, extremely descriptive, but all metaphor, it, it really reminds me of your work. So a match made mm. in heaven here. I, I think we... <laughs> Better wrap this up or it'll spill over into four episodes. Not that I would mind that, but actually. But I want to thank you both so much, really, from the bottom of my heart for spending all this time today and for just being so open and... Gosh, what a gift to me and and to folks who are going to get to listen to this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sasha. This has been super fun. Yeah, just really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I, I do as well. Just being and thank you both for reading so closely and just for this great, great conversation. It's been a real thrill to get to speak with you both and I'm just very happy to be here. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone take care of yourselves. And until we meet again, hopefully I will um, make it home easier next time. But um, we'll tell that story. Never. Anyway. Okay. I I want to hear it. (laughs) Have have a great rest of the day. Bye, bye, you guys. Bye, Sash. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Rebecca. Bye. 
Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is a production of the Photo Work Foundation. Executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and the associate producer is Taylor Selsback. The show is also produced and edited by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. Music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show and wish to find out more about the foundation, please visit photowork.foundation and be sure to subscribe and review with all the stars on your listening platform.